What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, Song of Songs, chapter 7. And um, let me just say this. I was, we're going to probably do about four verses today. And sometimes that's annoying to people, but I just counted every single verse that I have listed here. And I, there's over 50 different verses we're going to go to today, okay? And so this is why you mark your Bible. This is why we flip from place to place. This is why you should have a pen taking notes over uh, your Bible. Next week, I got a quiz for you. How many times does he say you're beautiful? And how many times is, is it declared over her that she's beautiful? We'll get that answer next week, or you can read the whole book again a couple times and highlight beautiful and figure it out yourself. Anyway, so I want you to say I'm an eight-cow wife. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're an eight-cow wife. Now, if you don't know, if you don't know, if you don't know what that is, you better ask somebody. And you should have came last week. See, now we got you. It's in the sermon. Go listen to it. Chapter 7 is what an eight-cow life, wife, wife, life, life, wife, what an eight-cow wife looks like. She's a bad mamma jamma. And keep in mind... She is being affirmed by her husband. She is being affirmed by Jesus in this allegory. Solomon represents Jesus. The bride represents us as the church, individually, but also collectively, as we stand in the finished work of the cross. Married to Christ. And so, verse 1, we pick it up. How beautiful. So there it is again. If you're counting, put that number, whatever that is. How beautiful are your feet? How beautiful are your feet in sandals? I want you to understand in the culture of the day, sandals speaks to prosperity. Sandals speaks to honor. Back in the day, beggars, they would walk around with bare feet. And so only the wealthy wore shoes or sandals. So bare feet speaks symbolically to shame, poverty, or humiliation. In John 10.10, Jesus is saying, hey, there is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He wants you barefoot. But Jesus has come so that you may have life and life to the full or life abundantly. He wants to put sandals on your feet. I want you just to jot down above that Luke 15, 22, because this is the prodigal son's story in Luke 15. 
He walked away from his father's house. He spent everything on wild living and prostitutes, and he ended up having nothing and eating with pigs. And then he finally came to his senses, and he came home to his father who was looking for him, who was waiting for him, who began to run towards him. And as he repented, the father cut him off and said, hey, stop, stop, stop. And the father turns and he says, hey, servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get the ring for his finger and get the sandals for his feet. This is the gospel, if you will, where we are broken Barefoot, destitute, wretched, full of sin, hopeless, poor in spirit. But when we come home to the Father, and keep in mind, Jesus said this, and it's very important, John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one, say that's me, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to the Father. We have sinned against a holy God, and so Christ came up on that cross, and he took his, he took our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so because Jesus took our sin away on the cross, and when we confess that and we acknowledge that we have sinned against the holy God, we have rebelled against the holy God, and we repent of that sin saying, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live that life anymore. Please forgive me. Will you be my God? Will you be my Savior? Will you come into my life and be my King? All of a sudden... We receive the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, we put on a robe of righteousness. We become the righteousness of Christ. Not only that, but we get a ring on our finger. And this ring represents that Colleen, the queen, sweet mama. She's under my authority. She's under my authority. She belongs to me. And my ring... On hers means I'm under her authority because we submit to one another out of love and we belong to one another. And this ring gives her authority so that my bank account is her bank account. And everything that I have is her because we're in a covenant together. And she has authority because of the ring and the shoes, the shoes, the shoes. The shoes represent the shoes of the gospel. Shoes of peace. The shoes represent, Romans chapter 10, how how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And so when we are gospel-centered, gospel-focused, Christ-centered, when we walk in those shoes, we begin to fulfill the purpose of, And the destiny that God has in our life. Many of you don't know your purpose because you're trying to find your purpose apart from the cross and the gospel. There's no such thing. 
It's kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first. I'm not going to college to get a good job so I can get a good house and a wife and 2.5 cars. Or is it 2.5 kids? I don't know. No. I'm going to college to get a job so I can get money and say, okay, God, my number one priority is the kingdom of God. That's why. That's why I work hard. That's why I go to college. That's why. That's why I work. Because the kingdom is my main priority. And when you start to wear those shoes, you'll find your purpose. And so, bride of Christ, again, the robe of righteousness, the ring of authority, the shoes of peace, they cause you to walk in the purposes of God. And she has beautiful feet. She's wearing sandals. And so here's some application. Your beautiful feet, they're in sandals now, Christian, because you've bowed your knee to King Jesus and you've given your life to him. He's put shoes on your feet. And so according to God's word in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you just as I promised to Moses. And you're like, Chris, that was to Israel. No, 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 no. We are Israel now spiritually. And not only that, listen, Scripture says that the meek shall what? inherit the earth so when i walk in meekness and meekness is not weakness it's power under control under the control of what under control of the holy spirit i begin to walk in a meek way and i will inherit the things that are appointed for me to inherit and nobody nobody in the world nobody in here not even myself can stop me as i walk in the meekness of god that word the meek will inherit means that things are appointed to you they're already assigned to you And so nobody can stop you. Get out my way. Get out my... No, we don't need to do that. Because as I walk with God, they will get out my way. Because I'm meek. I'm not like the world. I do it differently. See, these sandals and these beautiful feet, they walk in a certain way. Also, Luke 10, 19, it says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Go ahead and stomp. Two times. Anyway. Anyway. Some of you are like, what? Memory. <laughs> Left foot? No, I'm just kidding. So, when Jesus says that, you'll trample on the enemy in these sandals. This is fulfilling the first prophecy in the Bible that was given to Satan. Where God says, Satan, you're going to bruise Christ's heel on the cross, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to take your authority. And we join in the mission of Christ when we put on the sandals and we begin to trample in the authority of Christ. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says this. 
The reason the Son of Man was made manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. And you and I, when we walk in Christ and we bring his kingdom and we understand our righteousness and our authority and we're in these shoes of peace, which is the gospel, we begin to tear down the walls that were set up to keep people from the knowledge of God. We begin to, the kingdom suffers violent, but the violent take it by force. This is serious. These are some serious sandals. We good on that? Chris, you're spending like 20 minutes on sandals. The question is, what are you standing in? Do you stand in, in who you are? Do you, do you, do you stand in what you, you have done? Do you stand in your education? Do you stand in your natural strengths? Even though they're given to you by God, right? Listen, John 3.27, a man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. We stand in Christ. Our feet are beautiful in those sandals. Let's go to 1B. 1B, Song of Songs. It says, oh, noble daughter, your rounded thighs. Now, if you're thinking about chicken right now, you got some issues. Come up for prayer at the end, okay? Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. I want you to highlight the work of a master hand, please. And I want you to turn to Ephesians 2.10 because I quote this a lot, but I want you to write down a Greek word in your Bible, please, so that you really understand what this text is saying. And it's a famous passage in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, For by grace are you saved. Not because of your works, not because of what you do. By grace, through faith, through faith, through faith. Yeah, through the grace of God on the cross, through faith in what Christ has done, you are saved. Not by works. Because God doesn't want anybody to boast. He doesn't want anybody to boast in what they did. It's all about Christ. It's all about what he has done. And we need to move and get out of the way so that Christ can receive all the glory. So Ephesians 2.10 is in context here. What I just quoted, it says, for we are his workmanship. And I want you to write down above that word. It's so important. It's the word poema, poema. That's the Greek word. It's where we get the word poem. It's where we get the word masterpiece. It's where we get the word work of art. It's translated work of art in some translations. So workmanship, yeah, what what is that? Well, this is what it means. This is why it's important. Poema, poem, masterpiece, work of art. You are something uniquely created by God. 
Christian. You are his work, his work, his work of a master hand. The workmanship of God is fantastic. It is rare. It is precious. The workmanship of God in our lives comes from hands that are led by the wisdom of God. And I want you to understand something. God is still working. How do we know that? Jesus says, my father is always working. God is working for you on your behalf tomorrow. Be encouraged. He wants you to join him. But he's working. He'll never stop working. So we are his poem, masterpiece, work of art, created in Christ Jesus, in Christ. For what? Good works. For good works. This is what's going to happen to someone who is born of the Spirit of God. They are going to do good works because God is good, and if God is inside of you through his Holy Spirit... You are going to do good things because God is a good God. And then there's this part, it says, which God prepared beforehand. I believe wholeheartedly my wife was prepared for me by God before the world was created. Some people may disagree. That's okay. You can be wrong. But why would God be so specific with creation? Do you know if we were 100 miles or 200 miles away from the sun, we would, would freeze, right? Hundreds of miles closer, it would be too hot. Everything is so specific. He has plans for you that he's already prepared beforehand. This is the sovereignty of God. And you think that God's just kind of rolling the dice? Hey, figure it out. So he's prepared beforehand that what? We what? Should. Say should. Should. Oh, boy. I, I, I'm glad heaven will not consist of my replays where I should have went right, but I went left. Should. The amazing sovereignty of God is that he works all things together for good. Even my mistakes, they come back around for good if I'm in Christ. And so even those things that mess up, it's going to turn good. But listen, should walk in them. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 13, please. And I pray in the name of Jesus that the word would be so weighty on all of us that we're about to read. And I can't do that, God. Only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit. 1 Samuel 13, 13. 1 Samuel 13, 13. 
And this is Saul, who was the first king, and is blown away by this one little phrase here. It says, and by the way, uh, Saul disobeyed God. So this is the context. Saul disobeyed God. Understand, we disobey God. When we disobey God, it has consequences. This is why the fear of the Lord is so extremely important in the church. 1 Samuel 13, 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. When you disobey God, you're a fool. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. How long? Whoa. What about King David? What about, right? What about, what about, what about? Listen, God is declaring over Saul, your kingdom could have remained forever if you would obey me, but you lost it. Verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. It's David. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Listen. David sinned worse than Saul from the standpoint of the committing adultery, stealing somebody's wife, killing the guy, trying to cover it up, like he broke all Ten Commandments there. The difference between Saul and David is that David, when he was confronted with that truth, he repented, he fasted for seven days, he put his face in the dirt, he put his face in the dirt, God kept his covenant with him. Are you a Saul? You a David? Let me tell you what you are. You are God's poem, his masterpiece, his work of art, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. But should you be a Saul? Should you be a David? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Do not sell. Your birthright for a pot of porridge. And some of you are going down a path. And God's bell is ringing. I accidentally kicked the bell. <laughs> and he's saying, hey, listen. Listen to that bald guy. You got to stop. Because I've got plans that you should walk in, but you're not going to walk in them if you do not repent of the sin and rebellion and wickedness that you are in. Stop right now. Break it off. Put your face in the dirt so that you can find the mercy of God. We know how to confess. We know how to say I'm sorry, 
But repentance, biblical repentance is listed in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 where it says that godly sorrow. God, I don't have godly sorrow because I don't care. Something's wrong with my heart. I do not want to turn away from this. I know I should, but I don't want to. Will you change me? Will you save me, God? And that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. And you can see that in somebody's life because it produces fear. It produces an anger. I'm angry about this. It, redu- it produces a desire to cleanse yourself, to clear your name, to clear the matter, to make it right. It produces a zeal. Zeal for God's house consumes me. Jesus, I'm your temple and you have zeal for my house because your blood was spilt to be uh, the temple of God. And I don't have zeal. I need zeal and passion for holiness and purity. And God, I'm going to hold on to you. And I'm going to wrestle with you. And I'm, I'm fearful when I say that because Jacob wrestled with you and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. But I'd rather walk with a limp with the rest, for the rest of my life than, than miss out on what you have for me, God. And so I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go till you bless me, God. I'm not going to let go till you change me, God. And there is a, a pressing in that the church of Jesus Christ needs to have so that we can walk as his poem, as his masterpiece, the work of his hands, like we're supposed to in the calling and the purposes of God, in the will of God. But we miss out because... There's not true repentance. There's not true godly sorrow. It's just kind of like a a Britney Spears type of thing. Oops, I did it again. And I just keep saying I'm sorry. And Jesus comes to everyone in here and he says, do you want to be made well? John chapter 5, Jesus comes to this crippled guy He's sitting there. He can't move. He's begging. He's asking for money. And Jesus comes, who's compassionate, loving, and God, he's God. Jesus is God. And he says, do you want to be made well? How rude. Think about that. Do you want to be made well? Next guy, that homeless guy, right? Do you want to be made well? Ask that question. It's a good question. You know why? Because some people don't want to get off welfare. Some people don't want to get up. Some people don't want to be healed. Some people don't want to walk away from their old life because freedom, when freedom comes, responsibility comes. And we're scared of the freedom and we're scared of the responsibility. So we'll just stay stuck in our mess. And Jesus says, hey, do you want to get well? Everybody who really wants to get well gets well with Jesus. The problem is we don't want it. Verse 2, Song of Songs. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Mixed wine, you can put joy there. 
Wine's a symbol of joy and blessing. Your belly, you could put womb, womb. In the Hebrew, the word womb is there. Your belly is a heap of wheat. Hey, can I get a shout out for all the wheat bellies in the house? Some of the mamas still having that little, little, bit, of, little bit of baby weight. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. This is your verse right here. Because I still got baby weight. I was eating ice cream right along with Colleen. Shout out for all my wheat belly bros. Who knew that that little poochie, that little, little poochie was so biblical? Bring it back, God, bring it back. All right, let, let me quit. Encircled with lilies. Encircled with lilies. And so let me just, listen, your navel, it speaks of the early foundational nourishment of the child in the mother's womb. The belly represents a birthing. And notice it says a heap, a heap. It's not a little, but a heap. A heap of wheat is listed in Ruth chapter 3, verse 7. It says, when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, and he went down to lie at the end of the heap of grain, the heap of wheat. It was a full harvest. Notice it says wheat, not tares. Notice it's said about by lilies. Lilies speak of purity and innocence and pure motives. There is an expectation that something will be produced out of you, God's royal poem, God's royal masterpiece. Her belly is full. Her motives are pure. I want you to turn to John 15. And see, what God wants to do here is there is an expectation that the children of God, that the bride of Christ, we need to walk in. When we go somewhere, when we do something, when we take a position, there needs to be an expectation that amazing things are going to happen. That fruit is going to be produced, not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus, that his name would be lifted up. And when that happens, he draws all people to himself. And so John chapter 15, let's look at verse 8. And this is in context, Jesus is saying, verse 5, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, if you abide in me, things are going to happen. You will produce things, right? And so John 15, verse 8, it says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, not a little fruit, but much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. We prove that we belong to Jesus when there's certain fruit, when there's fruit coming out of our life. Look at verse 16. 15, 16 of John. I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and what? Bear fruit. That's Ephesians 2.10 again, right? That you should walk in it. It's appointed to you. Say, fruit is appointed to me. Yeah. Say, I'm fruity. Yeah. Are you walking with an expectation that fruit's going to be produced in your life wherever you go? Or is it a negative kind of mindset? Oh, I got to go do this. Oh, I got to go. Oh, this is my cross. This is the cross that God's given me to bear. 
I know how Job feels. Now I expect fruit. Expect fruit. We've got to ask God for the faith to expect the fruit that's appointed to us. It's appointed. It's appointed as we abide in him. We don't have to produce it, but him through us begins to produce fruit, and it's already appointed. I want to grow this ministry. Well, did you ask God if he wanted to grow it? Because fruit is assigned. You can't just use marketing strategies in the kingdom of God. Church growth strategies in the kingdom of God. Fruit is assigned. And there's an expectation. Just on a personal level, after 20 after the first two years of planting Bow Down, we had 25 people, and half of them were my family. And I'm whining to God. What's wrong with me? Da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. And God says, what if I've appointed 25 people? Are you okay with that? If that's the fruit that's assigned, are you okay with that? God exposes the motive of our, of our hearts. There's really, really corrupt that really sometimes we follow him because we want him to bless us. Pastor, will you pray for me? I'm going to go do this. Well, okay, is that your decision? Or is that where God is leading? Are you expecting to produce fruit as you abide in Christ? Verse 3. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Uh, There's a lot of breasts in the next two chapters, so keep your seatbelts on. Again, this is about... Nourishing. This is about a double portion. She was able to feed others. And as Christians, we should be about feeding others. Let's go to verse 4. It says, your neck is like an ivory tower. I want you to turn back to Song of Songs 4, verse 4, please. This is the same type of affirmation that's listed. And Jesus, he's saying it again to remind, but then he's adding a little something, something. And so in 4.4, he says, your neck is a tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. And remember, we spoke about this, your neck, it speaks of free will. The neck can either be stiff-necked or it can be submissive. A rebellious neck speaks of pride. Acts 7, 51, it says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and so do you. That was Stephen, and they killed him for saying that. The tower of her neck speaks of protection and strength, but see what's added, what's added to this? Let's go back to 7.4. 
is that there's ivory. Ivory is rare. Ivory is costly. Ivory is a stone that is used to carve out beautiful things. And so he's speaking to her beauty. And listen, church, application, if you continue to submit to, will, to the will of God, if you're not stiff-necked and don't resist the Holy Spirit, God will continue to add to the beauty of your life. You're being changed from glory to glory. Four B, your eyes are pools in Heshbon. Heshbon was a stronghold by the, by the gate of Beth Rabim. Uh, pools of Heshbon, these pools were abundantly clean. It was easy to see through these waters as opposed to muddy waters and The city of Heshbon was once a royal city where the Amorite king Sihon lived. This was a resort area because of the clean water. Jot this down, Matthew 6, 22 and 23. Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. And so he's speaking of her eyes and he's saying they are pure. They are pure. They are pure. Remember what he said? You have dove's eyes. You have dove's eyes. There's a purity that's there. We're going to go ahead and play a video right now. So please, let's give attention to the screen. I did grow up in a conservative upbringing and, you know, where you have to wear a dress for a certain length and you have to look a certain way and you have to, um, can't have earrings, you can't have makeup, you have to keep your hair long. Um, and you, especially for women, it's um, be seen but not heard. And so that is how I grew up. And um, growing up, seeing um, and hearing uh, my dad attempt suicide multiple times. So being around that, um, and then being around, like just me and my siblings growing up with seven of us, we just grew up beating each other up and raising ourselves and it leading to or just um, not even knowing who I was and not caring for anybody else. And so especially being around suicide, like it caused me to be suicidal and depressed and um, led me to cutting myself in the third grade, just playing mindlessly on a tablet um, one day, just pressing on a link and it just ended up going into this rabbit hole of Porn, and that had me addicted for years from the from third grade to eighth grade. Throughout that time, I was struggling with my own depression, own suicidal thoughts, cutting myself, bullying, but even this outward expression of like, yeah, I'm doing good. I can say the right things. I can walk the walk. I know the verses. I know when to stand. I know when to say amen. And yet inwardly, I, I was hating everybody. I was judgmental. I also was perverted. The way that I saw people, the way that I knew things, I just, I was rotten, um, truly just, just because of what I was consuming and then nobody knowing, having nobody to go to. Especially with the stigma around porn for men and it honestly being neglected for a woman. But even like as a little, I was a little girl um, and having no understanding, if, if somebody even talked to me of like, hey, Adina, like, let's talk about like what you're doing on the internet and like what's, what's going on in your life. But there was nobody I, I even felt like I could trust with because of how like ugly and dirty um, and felt like nobody even knew what was like, could say anything and that I was just gonna be judged for it. Um, but also being a kid, not knowing what any of that meant 
or what it could mean. It distorted the way I looked at everybody. It changed the way that I saw what people could be and what they could do. Because you see some graphic things and you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. And so even with, because um, right, the desires stopped, but the dreams didn't stop. It didn't stop. And there are so many times when even people talk, they talk about temptations and it's like, well, and you know, temptation first starts in the mind. Um, but for me, like it would pop up in my dreams and I would have to wake up and be like, I cannot, I can't see this. I don't want to see this. It started to twist even just my reality of like, right, like sexuality because like, and, and nobody even talks about this. And honestly, I don't even think I've shared this with people of like, even my own homosexual thoughts where I'm like, okay, well, like that person's beautiful and da, 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 da. And like it distorting everything. And I'm thankful that the Lord saved me when he did because there's a whole rabbit hole of just deception, lies, wickedness that lie there. And that is covered because of the darkness because sin wants to stay in the dark. But yeah, it... It, it definitely messed the way that I, I saw people. I'm positive that I led people on their own porn addictions because of how consumed I was with it at school. And then in the eighth grade, I was just at a, a youth group at church and the, the youth pastor, all that he said was, um, meet the Lord. Um, and, and it was just the Lord I need you. And he was like, if you need to lay down on the ground, and cry, do that. If you need to go in a corner and worship, do that. But like meet with, the, meet with God. And so it was the first time I ever like felt even open of like, okay, like I want to meet you, Lord. Um, I want to know you. The Lord met me like a hug in a wave that I, I can't express other than like the, the porn addiction, the thoughts, everything. Like it, it literally in that moment, like the desire stopped. But even at looking down at my wrist, the cuts are gone. <laughs> like the cuts are gone. Um, <clears throat> from that moment on, I was like, this is what I'll die for. This is what I'll live for. Honestly, the biggest thing is going back to what Jesus says in his word. And if I truly believe everything that I am is based in the Bible and that this is 100% true, 100% valid and infallible, then all the conflicting, all the hard truths, my life needs to shift to be in line with that and to be built on that. And so even if it's stripping me of everything that I've ever known, my home, my family, the way I used to live, what I thought was right and wrong, I'm stripping me of it all. And him allowing to shape and to align what is actually true in me and that becoming real for me like that is what has changed my life, stripping me of everything. And so uh, the biggest question is, is Jesus worth it all to you to shake everything in your life and to follow him into anywhere and everywhere he's asking you to go and everywhere in your heart that he wants you to be open to? It's powerful. And Adina moved to North Carolina, so we miss her. Uh, but she did this before she, she left. And um, I want to just say this. I've had a few women come up to me and say, hey, you never, you never talk to the women about this issue. Because statistics are about 70% of men in the church, 40% of the women in church. And so... Um, Jeremy, I want you to put up that first picture. Um, this, 
is a picture is a, a news clip. Um, this is a guy named Pastor John. Um, he was in the district of Indian River County, reading books that were profane and really pornographic, if you will, word-wise. And so there is an assault on our kids. She was introduced in third grade. Our kids are under attack. Next picture, Jeremy. There's a book here called Wolf in Their Pockets. Parents, if you do not have covenant eyes on the devices, if you just allow your kids freedom to go in their room with the phones and just have nothing on it, understand you might as well give them money to go into a strip club. And I hate to be so crass, but that's what's happening. And many of us don't realize what's going on. And so, again, let me just say this. It's not if your child will view porn. Colleen and I were, were on that. It's not if they will, but when they will. We live in an age where the enemy is bombarding them. And so I encourage you, I encourage you to create a community as well where, hey, bro, we don't do phones. And that's okay. That's okay, because the phones are ruining. There's, there's young men right now in counseling that are in their 30s that cannot uh, perform the duty of a husband because things aren't working because they've ruined themselves on porn by, by hundreds of thousands of times. John Mayer himself said he likes porn better than the real thing. That the stuff can corrupt us. And this is a church, by the way. I don't think the statistics at this church are like that. Because if you come here, you're going to be convicted. People say, I don't want to go to bow down. I keep getting convicted. And that's okay. That's okay. Listen, we want the Holy Spirit to come, but if there is filth in the house and it grieves the presence of God, that's a problem for us, and we want everybody to be free, and so we want to remove the shame. Listen, Colossians chapter 2, Jesus put shame on the enemy. Shame doesn't belong to you, and it belongs to the enemy, and so Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus despised the shame. He despised the shame, and he embraced the cross. Shame doesn't belong to the believers. Come out of shame. It's okay. There's no sin that's overtaken you except what's common to man. It's common. It's common. It's common. You can be free here, and we've got guys' classes that are going to get people free. And listen, ladies, we need a ladies' class because this is an epidemic. It's an epidemic that we, if we do not deal with this. Now, somebody asked me, why do you guys keep talking about porn? Because it's an epidemic. Next picture, please. And it's an epidemic that studies show the more you watch porn, the higher probability that you'll become and believe that you're gay or a bisexual. You just heard it from the video testimony. 
Romans chapter 1, they gave up natural things for what is not natural. Why? Because porn is bending the mind. It's corrupting the heart. Seeing things that no one should see. And we have to be a church that is violently dealing with this subject in an atmosphere of grace and love with the good news that anyone can be free if they want to. And you can get free here. There's people free here. There's people getting free here. And we need men and women to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm free. Come walk with me. Take my hand. There's no shame. There's no shame. When the kids are attacked, it's disobeying what Scripture says. Don't awaken love until it pleases And this is the ideology coming to our kids, wanting them to learn about sex at a young age. They don't need to learn about that. I want to give you a couple points around this topic, and then we're done. Number one, when you watch pornography, you're committing adultery. Jesus said, whoever looks lustfully that another woman has committed adultery in his heart. That word looks lustfully like it's a, a Greek word, blipo, blipo, like a continual looking. When you're watching porn, you are committing adultery on your wife. Even if you're single, you're committing adultery on your husband, on your wife. It's not a little thing. It's not a light thing. And you are decreasing her beauty because now you have how many beauties? And she's not my dove, my perfect one, my only one. And you're polluting and defiling your marriage bed when you watch pornography. It is adultery and it is a sin against God. It's a sin against your spouse. The second thing that you're doing is you are mocking God. You're joining in the demonic beings mocking God. What do you mean, Chris? Scripture says in Ephesians 6, our battle's not against what? Flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, that the enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the enemy and demons right now in this, like there's demons probably in this church somewhere. There's probably some demons, right, that are oppressing people right now in the seats, okay? There's demons all around us. The enemy's prowling around us. We're not, we're wrestling, not boxing, but wrestling, which means very, very close conduct. Those are words that are meant for a reason. We are always fighting. And so you get a picture of heaven in Job chapter one, where, where God says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? So Satan is watching Job. What did God say about Job? He's a righteous man. He's a holy man. But what about you that continue to watch porn? Satan's going up into that throne room saying, oh, look at that guy. That church is a bunch of hypocrites. And there is mocking and there is laughing. And there is this demonic worship and adoration that's happening when you're on your computer, when you're on your screen. They are mocking God. And those of you who are born again with the Holy Spirit in you, here's something else that's happening. You are causing the Holy Spirit to view what you are viewing. You are the temple 
according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, when you watch porn, the Holy Spirit's watching porn. Oh, wretched man. Don't do that. And so you're viewing porn. You're viewing porn. You're committing adultery. You're sinning against God. And the demons that are in your room at the time, they are mocking the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. <laughs> you suck, Holy Spirit. He doesn't love you, Holy Spirit. Because if he loved you, he'd obey you. He just wants to go to heaven when he dies. He's a vampire Christian that just wants to suck the blood so he can go to heaven. He's not a real Christian. He's using you. He doesn't like you at all. And they're mocking the Holy Spirit while you're watching porn the whole time. You may be enjoying it, but understand the devil and the demons, they're mocking the Holy Spirit of God that sealed you, sealed you, sealed you. Who will never leave you or forsake you, meaning he is going in there with you wherever you go. And because we don't believe the Bible, we don't have that mindset. This is not a light thing. That's not a little thing. Do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize what you're doing? You are forcing a holy God to view porn. Oh, man. Her eyes, they're pure. And I will not look at anything dark because I do not want darkness in my life. You are a holy God. And the Holy Spirit will always lead you into holiness. Jeremy, last picture. It's a great picture. I would say there's some things missing. Accountability is not there. And also a heart motive of the fear of the Lord. A reverence for God. Also a heart motive that loves God. If you love the Lord, you will hate wickedness. Scripture declares all who love the Lord hate wickedness. Do I love you, God? If I did, I would hate wickedness. I must not love you. Now. <clears throat> We're going to close in song. We're going to worship Jesus. But man, this place should be just filled up here. It should be filled. Maybe some of you aren't sure of your identity in Christ. And you're not walking in the shoes. Some of you have polluted your eyes. You've, you've brought unholy things into the temple of the living God. I don't know. But our prayer partners will be here to pray for you. And listen, despite, despite the spiritual reality of what we do when we watch porn, there's this thing called the cross. And God 
even though you deserved wrath, and I deserved wrath, he poured wrath out on his own son so that we could be in his family. God loves you. Christ was condemned on the cross. If you come and if you repent, there's no condemnation. And so the altar is open. Father, we just thank you for this morning. And this just isn't another message, God. This could be just a turning point in someone's life. And so, Holy Spirit, would you fall? Would you have your way? Would you minister? As we kiss towards you, as we sing to you, Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for forgiveness. But we pray we would never take your grace for granted. You have called us to be holy. And so purify your bride. Glorify Jesus. Burn, burn, burn your words, God. Your words into all of our hearts so that we walk and live differently. Thank you for Adina. Thank you for her testimony. We pray blessings over her life as it brings hope to those in, in here today. That God can change, God can heal, God can fix. And it's time to meet you, God. We want to meet you, God. You are in this place as we gather in your name. It's your promise. So come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.